2: Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer back with more End Time Insights. Thank you so much for listening. We do not assume anything. We don't take this lightly. We are just so honored that you take time out of your night, your evening, your day to listen to what we have to say. And I know that I know that I know that I give you what the Lord has spoken to me because He always makes it so clear. And it's exciting to do this. Last week, we were still talking about warnings. We say this all the time as long as the dangers are still present. Then we're going to give you the warnings. And in Hebrews, there's five warnings and there's five sections of scripture. Last week, we spoke about uh, in Hebrews 2, where we talked about the fact that the writer of Hebrews was warning the Jewish Christians of the danger from drifting away from the truths that they had heard. That was danger number one, which could lead to apostasy. Number two, today, the danger is the unbelieving heart. Let me read you the scripture. Hebrews 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he not only gives you the warning right there in 12, verse 12, but he tells you the danger. What can be the result if you nurture an evil heart of unbelief? And notice it's take heed, brethren. He is talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. The Phillips translation is even more intense. You should therefore be most careful, my brothers, that there should not be in any of you that wickedness of heart which refuses to trust and deserts the cause of the living God. Wow. You know, that's some intense stuff there, and yet it's real. You know, people were having discussions in our group about once saved, always saved. And I love, I use the, amongst the others that I use, the commentaries, I go to precept. Austin, P-R-E-C-E-P-T, Austin. And I'll tell you, most of those guys that make their, I mean, there's tons. There's got to be a 100 different commentators that contribute to that website. And I've only found one so far that agrees with me about once saved, always saved is not biblical. And so it's very frustrating. But, you know, it's amazing. God is so good to me as someone that has a teaching gift. And I'm sure all of those guys have a teaching gift that do the commentaries. But I take mine very seriously, and as I look at the reasons they give for making the statements that they do that you can't lose your salvation, I can always find error in it. I'm going to give you one in a little bit here. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14, the danger of an unbelieving heart. And the writer says, take care, brothers. Ever keep a watchful eye on truth. Ever keep a watchful eye on your soul. Watch everywhere, all the time. Paul, or whoever the writer was, oh no, I'm sorry, Paul warned the leaders in Ephesus, take heed to yourselves. Paul told the Ephesians, watch unto prayer, or better yet, watch with God. I love that. Take heed, brethren, if ever there was a matter that needed all of your thought, all of your prudence, all of your care, all of your attention, it is the matter of your soul's salvation. Remember, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul's. So you have gift, you have the gift of faith, and that faith, number one priority, is to make sure that you are saved, the salvation of your soul. And the writer here means just don't take heed for yourself, though, of course, that is the first duty of each one of us. But the writer says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. You ought to watch over your brethren to exhort one another daily, especially you who are officers or leaders or deacons in the church or who are elderly and experienced, take heed, watch out for one another. You know, I haven't studied this yet, and I'm sure I will. One day we'll teach about the uh, millennial reign of Christ. And he talks about us in Revelation that we are kings and priests in the earth. We already are kings and priests. And yet, when we get over to Revelation and we get over to the millennial reign of Christ, which is right after the tribulation, we are going to be called by God. We are going to be used by God. We are going to be summoned by God to shepherd those that are still alive in the earth, the church, the, the kings and the priests. We will be shepherding those, perhaps that don't know God or that don't know him as intimately as we do. And that's a wonderful privilege. And we can partake of that shepherd's ministry right now, whether we're pastors or not. Watch out for your brethren. You who are strong in the Lord and the power of your might, help those that are weak, Shepherd them. Disciple them in Jesus' name. The job of the pastor or the shepherd is to stand guard over you and protect you and to encourage you and to admonish you. That's what the shepherd does. Unfortunately, that rarely happens. Just one more reason America's churches are in so much trouble, which, once again, is the major reason America is in trouble. Anyway, I'm drifting. So let's look at the scriptures to make sure that we're clear about who this writer is talking to. Because one of the arguments that those that believe once saved, always saved, they'll tell you, well, the writer isn't talking to the church. The writer isn't talking to the saints. Well, let's go to the word. Hebrews 3, one. wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Well, that sounds like he's talking to Christians to me. I don't think the world are partakers of the heavenly calling. And I know they're not holy if the church is barely holy, right? So he's talking to the body of Christ. He's talking to saints. Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 3, 6, the same chapter, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. So he's writing to members of the household of Christ, whose house we are. So lastly, Hebrews three 14, I'll repeat it. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. So he's just not talking to any Hebrews. He's talking to Hebrews that have gotten born again, that are now acknowledging Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So before we get away and drift away from that, before we break down an evil heart of unbelief, let's make sure that we are speaking to the right crowd. And of course, he is holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling household of faith, for we are made partakers of Christ. That is most definitely us. By the way, don't miss the encouragements and the warnings to us concerning our position in Christ. It's very important. Notice when he refers to us as partakers, it's conditional. It's if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Notice when he says whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. We have a responsibility. Matter of fact, next week in our Bible study, we're going to talk about the responsibilities of salvation. You know, grace is a gift and salvation is free. You can't earn it. And praise the Lord for that. Thank you. But at the same time, we are charged by God with maintaining that salvation, with working out our own salvation, with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God that's working in us both to will, to want to, and to do, to accomplish his good Pleasure. We have a responsibility to our salvation to make sure we don't lose it. It can be stolen from us. It can drift away from us. It can be deceived right by lies. We can lose it by following the wrong people. So we are held responsible to keep that salvation. Amen? So moving on, talking about the evil heart of unbelief. What is the writer warning the Hebrews against? He is warning them against the evil heart of unbelief. Well people say, Well, Christians can't have an evil heart of unbelief. You know, that is so stupid. You know, for instance, does my wife warn me when I go out of the house in the morning about elephants dropping from the sky? Well, be careful. There's elephants dropping from the sky out there. You could get hurt. No, she doesn't do that. Why? Because that doesn't happen. It's not a real danger. Does she warn me about trees clubbing me to death on the golf course? No. Although the way I play, we'll skip that. But she doesn't warn me about things that aren't real. Well, neither does the Bible. The Bible doesn't warn you about things that can't happen to you. It only warns you about things that are real. So right here, the writer just told us that if we develop an evil heart as a Christian, we can depart from God. Do you understand that? He's not warning you about elephants falling. He's not warning you about trees beating up on you. He's warning you about something that's real, departing from the living God. That's pretty clear. You know, I don't need any religion. I don't need any man to translate that for me. What's been written and what's been placed, who's been placed inside of me, the Holy Spirit, perfectly capable of getting that right. I don't need anybody to teach me how to misunderstand that. That's why we are warned about guarding our hearts. Proverbs four twenty three: guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Your heart is the source of life. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And this love, hallelujah, he's placed this love in our hearts. He's placed it. Behold, what manner of love, what's the other scripture? The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. That's why we need to guard our hearts. We say God is love. Well, God deposited his Holy Spirit inside me, inside you. We have this treasure in earth in vessels, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that is the source of our life. And God says, guard that life. Why? Because you can lose it. I told you, it can be stolen. It can slip away through negligence, neglect, not so great a salvation. You know, it's under assault and we need to guard ourselves constantly. And these five warnings in Hebrews that we give you, they're more subtle than the warnings from the false teachers, the false doctrines, the the liars, the deceivers, those that are after your soul that want to make merchandise of you, those are dangers, most definitely, and we address them. But now we're talking about the subtle dangers that come to us. If we are not watching, we can let it slip. If we have neglected so great a salvation, lest at any time you come short of the glory of God. So these are more subtle, and they're one-on-one. It's me and it's God. It's me and the Word. It's me and Satan's attack upon me. Remember, Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Well, I am telling you that he desires to sift you as wheat also. So be careful. Proverbs 4.23, this is great. I read you the King James. Actually, that was the Holman translation. Guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. Well, here's the message. This is great. Keep vigilant. Watch over your heart. That's where life starts. I love that. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter. Avoid white lies. Avoid gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. I think that's a great way of putting it to us in America today. We understand that and that is the care we need to give to our hearts. Remember, it's an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart is a heart which doesn't believe. The word here for evil is poneros, P O N E R O S. There's two words in the in the Greek for evil. One is krakos, K-R-A-K-O-S. I think of the kraken when I think of that word. But it's krakos, and it means the inherent state of being evil. And the other word, the one that's used here for an evil heart of unbelief, is poneros. And on the other hand, it's used here, and it means an aggressive, active evil that opposes good. Stated in another way, the kakos man may be content to perish in his own corruption, But the Poneris man is not content unless he is corrupting others as well. And he's dragging them down into the same destruction with himself. The English word, when you see that word pernicious, it's referring to the Poneris man who is only intent upon destroying others as well as himself. So an evil heart of unbelief. Here, unbelief is more than just a lack of faith. Remember, it says an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief what? Unbelief of the truth and unbelief of the things that we've been taught. It's more than just a lack of faith and an inability to believe. It is the refusal to believe that is so important. It's not like, well, I can't understand that. I don't understand that scripture. I don't follow the King James or something like that. I'm having trouble believing God. My faith is weak. That's not what he's talking about. It's a refusal to believe. That's right. Here, the heart is instructing the mind and it's instructing the body in which way it should go. That's in direct contrast to how we are supposed to operate as Christians. Romans 10.10, 10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Yes, that's heart. The heart, with the heart. He uses the heart. That's why you have to guard your heart. You don't want to slip into a heart, an evil heart of unbelief. So yes, the heart is the vehicle by which salvation comes it's also the depository in which the salvation is kept. But heart's unbelief leads to and seals man's ruin. Spurgeon says that. Departing from the living God, that's a departing from the living God, a separation of one thing from another. It literally means to stand off from God, to withdraw oneself, to be apostate to forsake, to depart from, or remove oneself from the presence of God. So in this case, what the writer is saying, brethren, holy brethren, most holy brethren, they have chosen to remove themselves from God. Will God let them? Absolutely, of course he will. He wouldn't be God if he stopped them. Man, as a free will moral agent, doesn't lose the freedom of choice when he becomes a Christian. And that's what some of these guys are promoting. Well, no, no, no. Once you get saved, God will not allow you to leave him. Well, that would be false. God always allows you to do anything that you desire to do. That's the advantage of being man. You have a free will. You're created in the image of God. Does God have a free will? Of course he does. Well, so too do you. And he's told you over and over and over and over and over again God never forces anybody to get saved, God doesn't force people out of the kingdom. No man shall pluck me out of my father's hand. That's only man. My friend Emma got that revelation. It was great. No man shall pluck you out of the hand of God. That doesn't mean God won't let you go. That's not what that means. It means no man can take you out. My wife can't cause me to lose my salvation. My friends, my boss, a military enemy, none of those have the ability to pluck me from my father's hand. Only two people do, me, my free will, and God. Remember Pharaoh? The Bible says that Pharaoh had a hard heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Finally, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart because there comes a point when we keep hardening our heart where God recognizes, okay, I can't use you. I can't get through. You've hardened your heart so much. And then God goes ahead, and he puts you past the point of no return. So once again, in this case, we're talking about the brethren, most holy brethren. Let me read that again to you. Hebrews 3.1. And it says here, Wherefore, holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Take heed, brethren. He's talking to saints. It's important that you understand that. I'm going to give you somebody, as I go through these commentaries trying to get some insight, I'm looking at this one brother. I didn't write his name down. Doesn't matter. And he's defends once saved, always saved in the midst of the scripture. I go, well, how can you do that? How can you make the case? He says plainly right here in Hebrews, I'm talking to the holy brethren. I'm talking to the brethren. I'm talking to those who are made partakers. I'm talking to those who belong to the household of faith. That's the church. Well, let's see what he does. This is a teachable moment here. (laughs) He goes, let's see. In this case, brethren have chosen to remove themselves from God. Okay. Here's the quote. Uh, it is important to emphasize that this verse does not justify the false teaching that one can lose one's salvation. So I said, okay, how do, you, how do you make that case? He goes, examine the context, noting that the evil and the unbelieving heart is the reason they fell away. Okay, what about it? They are not genuine believers, he says. Ah, he, so he says they're not genuine believers because he believes that genuine believers could not have an evil heart of unbelief, which is false because we just read it right here that it can have an unbelieving heart in the life of the Christian. And yet, you know, these guys, he takes the second part of the scripture, talks about the fact that the guy cannot possibly be a Christian Because of an unbelieving heart. And yet the first part of the scripture says it's believers. It's brethren, members of the body that have an evil heart of unbelief. And that's what they do. We see it over and over and over and over. They don't go to the word of God to get their doctrine. No, they subject the word of God to what they believe. And that's a danger. You have to be so careful about who you listen to. You know, as a teacher, my eyes are open to this type of assault on the Word of God. You know, what we come from once saved, always saved. Therefore, the Scriptures, when I come across the Scripture that doesn't support that, I'm going to find a way to deny it. In this case, the brethren just runs right over it. Notice either the misunderstanding of Scripture by this guy or the lack of reading the Scripture properly by this guy or, and this is the most likely thing, the brother perverting scripture to conform to his own doctrine. His doctrine is obviously once saved, always saved, but he doesn't let the verse trump his doctrine. It's quite the other way. He uses his doctrine to trump that verse. This verse plainly states that these are believers. Verse not only says they are believers, but they are holy believers. I mean, that should settle it. As a Christian. God's Word trumps everything that I know. It is the place where I go to to get my doctrine. I don't go to the Bible to support my doctrine. I go to the Bible to get my doctrine. Yet this brother, he just runs right past the part where he's calling them holy brethren. And what he claims to be false teaching by people like me, who have a different view, that false teaching that he is ascribing to has blinded him to what's been written. Brethren with hearts that are unbelieving and evil, they can and they do desert God, which is why this warning is written to warn us from not putting up with an unbelieving heart that's evil. So the writer here in verse 13 says, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the writer informs us that sin that has caused this unbelieving heart to flourish, He says that right there. It's the sin that does it. And he goes, but along with the warning, he's going to give us a word for deliverance from this. I love it. Basically, it's exhort one another daily. The Amplified Classic. But instead, warn, admonish, urge, and encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened into a settled rebellion. That's what hardened is. A settled rebellion of the heart by the deceitfulness of sin, by the fraudulence, the stratagem, the trickery, which the delusive glamour of sin has played upon him. We need each other so as to protect one another from getting a hard heart through the trickery of Satan and the deceitfulness of sin. It's a defense against a hard heart. Don't ever stop encouraging and loving one another. Ephesians 4:32 Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness is a key component Forgiveness is a true soldier, a guardian, if you will, in the defense of one's heart. A tender heart is the key to forgiveness. Always examine your heart for any unforgiveness. Unforgiveness lays the foundation for developing a hardened heart. Do you understand that? That's why, If you got anything, forgive. Because unforgiveness creates in you a hard heart of unbelief. It doesn't necessarily just take rampant sin like pornography or murder or stealing or lying. It can be something subtle, jealousy. It can be bitterness. But the Bible says, keep your heart tender by forgiving one another. The word for hardness in the Greek is scleruno, S-K-L-E-R-U-N-O, scleruno, And it was a medical term, a technical term, first used by Hippocrates in Greek writings describing something becoming hardened or thickened. Matter of fact, we teach our English medical term hardening of the arteries, which is known as arteriosclerosis. It comes from that word scleruno, or the English word is hardening, hardening of the arteries, plaque on the arteries, but it's got its root in the word sclerosis. This is a serious, potentially fatal physical condition, but here in Hebrews, the danger is even more ominous, for spiritual hardening can lead to eternal death and damnation of one's soul, not just the loss of their physical lives. You know, we went to doctors when we had the hardening of the arteries, and they Take care and they clean it out and they do what it is to make sure that we can have a long life. It's the same thing spiritually. You need to act as if your heart and the arteries in your body were hardening. You need to take that same care concerning your heart in the spirit realm and you need to make sure that it's cleansed, that it's hold. Examine your heart, examine your heart, examine your heart all the time. You know, man can repeatedly harden his heart, Pharaoh in Exodus, until finally God does the hardening. No longer was Pharaoh hardening his heart. God was hardening the heart. And once you get to that place, basically you're done. And don't think as a Christian that can't happen to you. Guarding your heart, folks, make it the priority. And sin is deceitful, and that's why you've got to be on guard. That's why I've been giving you all these warnings, okay? Sin, uh, who wrote this? Did I write his name down? Yes, I did. George Swinnick, and this is neat. The deceitfulness of sin. Sin goes in disguise. And because of that, it's welcome. Like Judas, sin kisses, and then it kills. Like Joab, remember, the leader of uh, David's army, like Joab, it salutes, and then it slays. Notice very carefully that sin has a hardening power over the heart. And how does that come about? How do you develop that? Through familiarity with sin. We may look at hateful sin till we love it. Familiarity with sin makes the conscious dull, and at length, it deadens sensibility security in wrongdoing leads also to uh, the hardening of the heart. A man has been dishonest, he's found out, and he suffers for it. You know, I could almost thank God for now. He may cease from his evil course, but one of the great curses that can happen to a man is for him to do wrong with impunity. He will do it again and again and again, and he will proceed from bad to worse till eventually he dies. i Gaia. We'll give you the third warning in Hebrews next week when we come back. God bless you. We love you.